Now, I, I don't know if you've seen the movie, but in the DC comic film, uh, which was released in 2017, Wonder Woman, the, the superhero Diana, princess of the Amazons, uh, is on a mission to rid the world of a terrible supernatural evil. And so, she persuades her mother to let her leave this wonderful secluded island where she's been raised to go out there and help mankind get rid of this supernatural evil. And soon she finds herself on the front line, would you believe it, of World War I. That's, uh, that's where she is, that's the time period. Uh, Dan, what is Diana doing in, front of, in this uh, front line of World War I? Well, Diana believes that if she can kill a certain German army general, uh, who she believes is possessed by this uh, supernatural evil, then the world war will end. Everything will come to a stop and everybody will live happily thereafter. And so, after overcoming a few challenges, she, our superhero makes her way to the front line and of course she finds the general. Well, via through London and then to the German front line and then she finds the general. And of course she kills the general. But to Diana's shock, the war doesn't end after she kills this general. Uh, people, she looks around and people are still fighting. She, she believes she has got rid of this evil, but everybody is still fighting on. What's going on? So our hero is puzzled. Why are they still fighting? And then it dawns on her that the evil that she's trying to get rid of is not only uh, outside people. It is also inside them. It lives deep within. That's why the war is going on. And so our superhero, filled with tears, our superhero princess turns to her trusted friend and says, my mother was right. They don't deserve our help. And with those words, if you've seen the movie, and in those words, she gives up the fight at that moment to save us. Uh, the question Wonder Woman and superhero films, many of them ask, is the same question. They always ask this question. Are we worth serving. Uh, what is it about human beings that makes them worthy of salvation? Are people worth serving? Do you deserve to be saved from evil and suffering in your life? Or to put it differently, <laughs> do you deserve to live a happy and joyful life? That's the question they're actually asking. And if, if your answer is yes, why is that? And superhero films seek to explore that. They, they explore that question because actually it is one of the most important questions in life. Uh, because it goes to the heart of all human beings are. Who are you? Who are you really? What is your true nature as you sit here this morning? Every system of thought, uh, science, every system of belief, um, Philosophical beliefs and religion, whatever religion you look at, they are, they are all trying to answer this question. And the way you live is actually shaped by your answer to that question. Are you worth serving? I don't know how you answer that question, but most people answer it like this. Most people say this. Human beings deserve to live a good life. Uh, because even though we do a lot of terrible things... Right? Even though we do a lot of terrible things, on the balance, we are good people who deserve a helping hand, especially from God. 
That's the conclusion we reach. And actually, if you watch Wonder Woman, uh, it goes on. I won't spoil it for you, but if you want to watch it, it's quite interesting. Uh, it goes on to locate this good we have as love. We have this love capacity, even though we do terrible things. But we have love. And actually, based on this love, there is a sense in which we deserve to be helped. That is what most people believe, and this shapes how they live. But the problem with that is that you can, they cannot tell you why they believe this is true. Why do they believe they deserve serving? Because their love, perhaps, is, or some good things they do is greater than the bad they do. They, they can't tell you why, that, why they believe that. They'll just say, we just do. If you ask them who defines what is good or bad, they'll say, we do. <laughs> Good is what we say we do. The majority, at this time in the society, if we think this is good, this is good. That's what they say. And if you tell them, how do you know the good things you do, you know, maybe helping the sick, the poor, uh, outweighs you telling a lie to your boss. <laughs> they, 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 can't, they can't trade this. So they just say, well, we just do, because it just looks right to us. So when you think about this, you realize that it is all based on wishful thinking. Uh, the entire worldviews out there, they're all based on what we wish for to be right. What is good for us in our own thinking. But the Bible tells us what we need is God's opinion. Somebody from outside who can look at us and tell us whether what we're doing is right or wrong. Whether indeed we deserve to be saved. God's opinion on the subject is what matters most because God created us. God has revealed his truth in the Bible. So we must ask this morning, what does the Bible say? Are we worth serving? Well, if you know your Bible, you realize that the Bible starts by telling us that all human beings are valuable. Infinitely valuable, we might say, because we are created in the image of God. But then the Bible goes on to tell us that even though God made us perfect and priceless, we are now corrupted by sin within us. Our spiritual hard drive has been hacked and is now corrupt beyond repair. We have defaced the image of God in us and it occurred in the Garden of Eden and all the descendants of Adam and Eve are now forever corrupted. So when God looks at the human race, he's looking at people who are now worth nothing. It's, it, we need a new computer. You <laughs> can't use us. We are completely worthless. Nothing worth salvaging. We have become obsolete to God. We don't deserve his love. And we don't deserve his care. So the Bible asks the question, are we worth serving? He says, no, we're not. And this leads us to a difficult question. How can we ever then hope to have any life with God? Why are we here this morning? Well, the Bible's answer to this question is one word, and it is called grace. It's an exciting word. It's called grace. Just one word, grace. And the Bible says that God has reached out to us to save us through his son, the Lord Jesus. And this morning, I want to speak to you about this amazing grace of God for undeserving people, people who are not worth serving. Now, last week we looked at Matthew, Mark, sorry, chapter 3, verse 13 to verse 15. And if you are here in the evening, you remember that we saw how Jesus appointed 12 apostles to become this new community of God. 
And everyone here this morning, it's an exclusive club, but everybody's invited. And every this morning, you are invited to be part of this new community of God in Jesus. But as we read through the list, we realize there's also something else important worth flagging up, which I want to flag up in the next four sermons, actually. The important thing we see is that this choice of these 12 apostles, as we look at their names, none of them deserve to be on the list. In fact, no one, no one does deserve to be on that list. As we read their names, we've come so used to them and we think they're very good people, but actually, as we read them, we realize none of them deserve, deserve to be chosen by Jesus. Jesus chose them because they did not deserve to be chosen. In fact, no one is chosen by God by merit. As Brother, Brother Nick reminded us, we, it is all by grace. So I want to explore that, looking at these four names, uh, looking at these 12 names over the next four sermons. I want to show you this amazing grace of God uh, in Jesus by looking at the lives of these 12 men who are listed here in Mark chapter 3, verse 16 to verse 19. And this morning, we are starting by looking at Peter in Mark chapter 3, verse 16. And the main truth I want us to learn this morning is that Jesus has come for those who do not deserve him. Jesus has come for those who do not deserve him. Let's read verse 16 there. And where he appointed the twelve, there are twelve of them, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. What does the name Peter mean? Well, Peter means rock or stone. And as Mark reminds us here in verse 16, this was a name actually given to him by Jesus. His original name is Simon, which is Aramaic, um, an Aramaic name. But Jesus called him Peter. He's the rock, he's the stone. But as we read through Mark, we see that far from Peter being rock solid, uh, he is constantly wobbly. Uh, he's always messing up and uh, he's always letting Jesus down. And we might say the name Peter tells us more about Jesus and his love and grace to Peter than the wobbly Peter himself. Because it is the grace of Jesus, by calling him Peter, Jesus is indicating, yes, you are a mess, but I'm going to turn you into a rock. I'm going to strengthen you over time and you're going to become a leader. You will be just like your name. But throughout Mark, we see that Peter is not Peter, really. He is wobbly and he's is, 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 is not worth the name at this point. In fact, from the first moment that Jesus caused Peter to follow him, the book of Luke, Luke the evangelist, tells us that Peter agrees he does not deserve to be with Jesus. Look with me at Luke. We're going to do a bit of Bible reading, by the way, so get your, 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 your fast going through the scriptures. Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 11. Let's read the account of our first Jesus called, called Peter. Uh, we've, we've seen this call in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, but it, was, it is abbreviated by Mark. Luke gives us a more detailed account in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 to 11. Let me just read that for us. And when he, that is Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let your nets, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. 
But at your word, I will lay down the nets. He's starting off okay. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of sheep, a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. We see there that Peter immediately when he's called, if you like in Mark chapter 1 verse 16, and repeated here in Luke 5 verse 4 to 11, he realizes that he's a sinner. That is the only qualification he brings to the table. And Jesus chooses him here among the twelve later uh, in Mark chapter 3 verse 16, which we're looking at, because Jesus has come for sinners. Jesus already knows he's a sinner, and he chooses him because, because of that. Uh, remember that Mark chapter 2, if you flip back to Mark chapter 2 verse 17, that scripture we looked at says this, And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Every single one of the twelve, not just Judas Iscariot, are all sinners. And Jesus came for them. And this is what the Bible means by the word grace. Grace is Jesus reaching out to us, not based on what we bring to him, but based on his unmerited love for us. The world says God helps those who help themselves. And actually, if you read, you watch through Wonder Woman, she has to find something deserving to actually serve them. And she finds this love, which is worth serving us, so to speak. But God doesn't do that. God doesn't, you know, God doesn't help those who help themselves. The Bible says God does the opposite. He helps the helpless, the guilty sinners, people who do not need, do not deserve Him. And so God is saying to you this morning that, yes, just like Peter, you have rebelled against me. You don't deserve me. But I want you back. In fact, I am not asking you to clean yourself up. I I am accepting you first so that I can clean you up. That's what Jesus offered Peter, and that's what Jesus is offering each one of us here this morning. A direct, personal, unconditional relationship with him. To live and enjoy him forever. Sensational grace. And you know what? What is a Christian? A true Christian is a person who, like Peter, accepts that she is a sinner who does not deserve God because she can never treat God as he deserves. And not only that, like Peter, she accepts this unconditional love of God by crying out to the Lord Jesus to save her and welcome her into his or her own life. Or welcome him into her 
or his life, so to speak. Let's not give the Lord two genders there. <laughs> so she comes the Lord and welcomes Jesus into her life. That's what a Christian is. They have this deep sense that Peter can say in Luke chapter 5, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. And then, verse 11 in Luke 5, says, And when they had brought out their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. These two movements, accepting the sinfulness of your sin and surrendering to Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is a true Christian. It is what the Lord is offering us. And that's why there is nothing like the good news of Jesus. It is not some superhero film where we need to reach a certain standard to be saved by our hero. It is something completely different. There is nothing like the gospel. Jesus saves sinners and he's come for sinners to make us children of God. And all we have to do is accept him. You don't have to live in denial or excuse your sin. You don't have to point fingers and blame others. You don't have to look at your neighbor and say, I'm better than her. It's nothing like that. All you need is to come to him. Flawed, broken, sinful as you are. You, didn't, you don't even have to tie it up. Some, sometimes people tell me, oh, I've got to do this and this. I'm trying to put my life in order before I surrender to Jesus. No, you don't even have to do that. Come broken, sinful as you are, and God will clean you up. Is that what God asks? Is that you admit you're a sinner. Surrender your life to Jesus and ask him to forgive your sin based on his death on the cross for you. And the question we have to ask as we go through this is, have you done that? Have you come and surrendered to Jesus in this way? Well, if you've done that, you have no reason to doubt that you now belong to him. With all your failures. You see, we can come confidently and ask Jesus to welcome us because as Peter found out, Jesus never turns us away. No matter how much we let him down, no matter how much mess we make, he never turns his back on us when we come to him. Let's go. Let's, uh, so you see here, as soon as Jesus chooses Peter, let's go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Pe- Jesus chooses Peter in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, where he appoints him to be signed, he appoints him as part of the 12. We now expect G- Peter to grow in love with Jesus. Right? I mean, you are being mentored by the Son of God in person. We expect Peter to grow. Very well. Sound, in fact. To just fall in love with Jesus. And this is especially so because as we read through Mark, we realize that, you see, Jesus has done something for Peter that he doesn't do for Judas Iscariot. He doesn't do for, uh, for, for, for Thomas. He doesn't do for Simon the Zealot. What he does for Peter is only something that he does for John and James, which is he draws Peter now into this inner circle. It's called the inner circle. When you read through the gospel, you realize there's 12 men and there's the inner circle of three. People who are very close to Jesus. And Peter actually is chosen as one of them. He's the first, listed always the first, but also he's chosen as one of these three. If Jesus wants to heal Jairus' daughter, Peter, discreetly with no one, you know, causing a fuss, he calls on Peter. Look at Mark chapter 5, verse 37. In Mark chapter 5, verse 37, uh, we read this. And remember, this is the healing of Jairus' daughter. It says this, And he allowed no one to follow him, no one, except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. 
And again we read when Jesus goes up to the mountain. Peter is also there. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Just flick a few pages there in Mark chapter 9, verse 2. Jesus is going up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And we read this. It's part of the inner circle again. Uh, you, you see more of this. In, in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, it says this. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. They see this amazing transformation of the Lord Jesus Christ as his heavenly glory shows. In fact, this moment is the single most imprint that Peter has. When he thinks of his death with the Lord, in Second Peter he writes about it, he remembers this, we were with him on that mountain. So privileged Peter was to see the Lord in his glory transfigured before him. In fact, Jesus has drawn Peter in such a wonderful inner circle of grace that Peter's privileged mentorship has made his head grow big. I mean, it is a miracle that Peter ever came down the mountain. Because his head grows so big, right? So big that he now thinks he's actually better than the other disciples. Picture the scene. The appointed time for Jesus to leave this world has come. You remember the moment because Jesus is having his last supper with the twelve disciples before he dies. And after supper, what happens is they head off to the Mount of Olives. And as they make their way, Jesus to them, look, I am about to be killed. Every one of you twelve is going to abandon me. And just to make sure that they, Jesus can just say this because he's God. But just to make sure they understand he's not making it up, Jesus quotes the Bible to prove his point. He says, I'm going I'm to be, you're going to betray me, not just Ju- Judas. Because the Bible says so. But Peter doesn't believe him. <laughs> Turn with me to Mark chapter 14, verse 26. Look, flick over to chapter 14, verse 26 to verse 31 and see how Peter himself remembers the events. Because remember, Mark's gospel is very much Peter's gospel. Uh, Peter was his uh, um, sort of mentee, so to speak. So Mark chapter 14, verse 26 to 31. Let's read this. And when they, Jesus and the disciples, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For, the Bible says, For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, he speaks first, even all these guys who fall away, I will not. They are weak, but look at me. I won't fall away. And Jesus said to him, truly I tell you this, this very night, before the rooster, the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. They've all borrowed the pride from Peter. I said, ah, it's not just Peter. <laughs> Even I won't leave you, won't abandon you. And it gets worse. Peter is not, what's happening is that Peter is not just disbelieving what the Lord is saying. He's disbelieving the Bible the Lord has quoted. 
He doesn't get it because he's so prideful now. And it actually gets worse. The sins of Peter just gets worse. Mark tells us that after this conversation, Jesus takes them, the 12 disciples, and where does he go? He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's read on. Uh, verse 32 of chapter 14. Verse 32. It's in the same chapter. Verse 32 to verse 34. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. Verse 33. And he took, notice the inner circle again. He took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to the three, My soul, to them, My soul is very sorrowful. Even to death, remain here and watch. So Peter is part of that inner circle again. Jesus is deeply distressed because he knows the terrible hour of his death on the cross is fast approaching. The horror of, of, of Golgotha that lies ahead is so unbearable. Because even though Jesus is fully God, you remember, he must die and bear the full, infinite wrath of God as a man, in the body, in the flesh. He must die as one of us. And yet, Jesus' top concern is that Peter, James, and John should find strength in God to resist the strong temptation to abandon Jesus. He's not thinking about himself, he's thinking about them. It's funny when I will look at this passage, but later on in Mark, but when Jesus asks for their prayers, he's not asking for himself. He's asking for themselves, for them to pray for them so that they may be strengthened and resist the temptation to abandon Jesus. Will Peter now, finally, the real Peter, stand up and obey, be a disciple? No. Peter, Peter doesn't. Peter is prayerless like the others. Let's read on. Verse in fact, we'll, we'll read on from, uh, from verse 40 to verse 42. Mark 14, verse 40 to 42. Jesus comes to them. We read in uh, verse 40. And again he came and found them sleeping. For their eyes were very heavy and they did not know what to answer him. And they were asleep, including Peter. And he, he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of, hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. We see at this crucial moment when Peter needs to obey Jesus and draw near to God, we, this is a moment of spiritual emptiness. He's so spiritually empty. And we're thinking to ourselves, man, come on. What is going on here? And it gets even worse. Because you see, sometimes later, Peter doesn't believe what Jesus has said before. So he tries to follow Jesus as he's, when Jesus is betrayed. And he finds himself where he's not supposed to be. And let us read what happens in, in verse 66 to verse 72. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 66 to verse 72. Uh, let's just read that. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, so he followed Jesus, one of the seven girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You are with the Nazarene, Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know uh, nor frankly understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and he, says, and he went out into the gateway, and the cock crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. 
And after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Suddenly you are one of them. You are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. Never seen him. Don't follow him on Facebook. Nothing like that. And the study 72 says, And immediately the cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter has been hanging out with Jesus. Part of his inner circle. He has been loved and mentored, listen, by the creator of the universe. God in the flesh. He has walked with God for three years. But when someone asks him, hey, when you hang out with this man from Nazareth, Peter says, not me. <laughs> I wasn't. I, I don't even know the man. Uh, can you imagine if you said this about your wife? Are you married to Sarah? <laughs> Sarah. <laughs> Who's Sarah? <laughs> I've never heard of a woman. <laughs> can you imagine that? Uh, and it's not even like Peter is being asked by Detective Colombo. <laughs> it's not somebody seeking trying to trap him. It is by a servant girl, and his life is not at stake. He could admit that, and nothing would happen to him. They knew Jesus already had disciples. In fact, some of them were who even betrayed him. But Peter here betrays Jesus. He betrays God the Son. Not once, but three times. Some people know that Judas betrayed Jesus once. Peter here betrays, rejects Jesus three times. And I think Peter would have gone on to deny Jesus even more times if it was not for the rooster. <laughs> the rooster, I think, is amazing grace. Because, you see, as soon as that rooster clicked, Jesus prepared this rooster, I guess, and as soon as that rooster cried out, Peter remembers. He hears it. The grace of God has come to Peter, shaped in this rooster that cries out twice. Because it's a rooster that triggers Peter to repair, to cry out to God. Let's read verse 72 again. And immediately the cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, it triggers his memory. Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. And that rooster, we might say, is just a pebble in the bottomless sea of God's grace to Peter. Because the story of Peter continues. The grace of God to Peter continues. Because after Peter's denial, Jesus goes to Golgotha. And there on that cross, he dies for sinners. Including Peter. And when Jesus rises from death, his heart is still beating love for Peter. The first, of all the disciples, the person he mentions most once is Peter. Let's, read, let's finish our readings. Mark chapter 16. Verse 5 to 7. Mark chapter 16, verse 5 to 7. This is our final reading. This is a story of the resurrection of Christ. Chapter 16, verse 5 to, chapter 16, verse 5 to 7. It says this. And entering the tomb, they, the women, saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But 
Go tell his disciples. And Peter, Jesus repeats himself. And Peter, because Peter is already a disciple. And Peter, that is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. As I read this passage this week, this past week, I try to imagine how Peter feels when he gets this message. How he feels his name being mentioned. I think Peter is in tears again. Except this time it's tears of joy. Because as he hears that Jesus who is risen from death still thinks of him, calls him out by name, Peter must think Jesus truly loves me. With all my failures, he still loves me. Despite how much I have let him down, he still loves me. I have run away from Jesus, but he has pursued me. Grace won't let me go. Because I did not choose Jesus. He chose me out of his love for me. I thought of Peter. I thought of myself. I thought that every true believer knows something of his amazing grace. If you're trusting in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this same Jesus of Peter is your Lord and Savior, regardless of your many sins and troubles. I forget this truth, and, and I'm sure you forget this truth. We forget it, don't we? You're trusting in Jesus, and yet you constantly find yourself letting go down with some addictive sin. Your failures pain you. You realize you are up only to be down. You are trusting Jesus, but sometimes you have doubts. Is Jesus really there for me? Am I facing this alone? I believe. Lord, please help my unbelief. You're trusting Jesus and perhaps you're facing a new illness. You're praying, Lord, take away this illness, but nothing seems to be happening. And in, in that very moment, you feel abandoned. You are seeking his direction about some difficult issues and you're crying out, pleading to the Lord, and you become frustrated and you... You feel it's no good asking the Lord. Perhaps it's not there for me. It's just not there for me. And then you remember, and then you feel sorry. Then you cry out again to him. Well, if you feel like that, underline the name Peter in Mark 3, verse 16. Because there is a piece of Peter in all true followers of Jesus. None of us, none of us deserve Jesus. But thanks be to God that the grace of Jesus has chosen you to be with Jesus like Peter. And thank God that the grace of Jesus didn't just choose us, it pursues us if through our failures and keeps us in Christ. That's why it is grace. Grace is God's relentless pursuit of rebels, even saved rebels. Listen, friends, I was so encouraged when I, when I thought about Peter. Because I realized it is not Peter's life that kept him. Prayer life, rather. It's not Peter's prayer life that kept him. We've seen his prayers are weak, very weak. It is not even his Bible study. We've seen his Bible study just as weak. It can't help him. It is not even fellowship with believers. Prayer, Bible study, fellowship with believers. These are important things. They matter. I bang on about them. But they are not the most important thing in your life. 
The most important thing is the grace of God in Jesus. It is that you are chosen, you are saved, and you are being kept by the grace of Jesus alone, without any contribution. It is amazing grace. And so as I thought about this, I thought, whatever situation I'm facing this morning, whatever situation you are facing this morning, I think the only response we can do, first of all, is to thank him for his amazing grace. For undeserving sinners like Peter, like you, like me. And then we need to go to Jesus to bow our knees before him and to draw on the endless fountain of mercy and grace that flows from the Redeemer's veins because Jesus is full of grace towards us, beloved. And Jesus is waiting to lavish more and more grace. In some versions in James, he says, he gives us greater grace. More and more grace. And so you can go to him, whatever your situation this morning, if you trust in him, to give you greater grace. Sensational grace for the undeserved. Because Jesus, and I thank God for this, Jesus came for the undeserved. Amen.